0: this week on The Gary Hour.
1: One thing that I definitely learned from that band was like, sharing the stage with fellow musicians. And like, even though you're the lead singer and you have the microphone and you're like singing the song, you need to share the spotlight with everybody and you Mm. need to not make anybody feel like they're not important or whatever. Right my whole life I had been very bristly to the idea of like you need to be a business person or like business is cool or da 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 because like my dad's a business person and I just don't see I didn't see us as having anything about that in common I was like you're a business guy and you're an artist who wears suits yeah. and I'm an artist yeah. who's crazy G-G.
0: Welcome to the first episode of the Gary Hour of 2019. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week, I talk to musician, songwriter, and Risk podcast producer, J.C. Cassis. We talk about her pursuit of music, being an independent artist, and how, when doing that, you learn a lot of skills you never thought you'd learn, and how she used some of them to help the Risk podcast grow, into over a million listeners per month. Wow. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a musician, a podcaster, a voiceover artist, a filmmaker, or someone that just makes movies on their phone, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments because they have an app that'll make your life easier and your production so much better. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for links to JC's music. And, uh, enjoy. So uh, I was reading up on you as I do research on my guests, Cool. and I saw that you graduated Harvard.
1: I did. Did you not know that till now?
0: I did not know that.
1: But I feel like this is maybe, is this the second time that you're telling me you didn't know that? Because I mentioned it on stage in October, and then you're like, I didn't know that. And then now we're here, and you're like, I just read about it. I didn't know that. It's entirely possible.
0: (laughs) I forget things all the time. Yeah, me too. But like, are you, do you feel like you wasted your degree in Harvard?
1: (laughs) Yeah, mus- I've accomplished a lot. <laughs> you're,
0: you're a musician and a producer. like.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think there's a ton of people who go to a ton of different schools and programs and whatever and don't do things that are specific to what they supposedly were concentrating on there. So like at Harvard, I majored in Spanish, Portuguese and French. Oh, so it was, and- it was
0: a waste right away.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, that was the plan from the beginning. No. um, But, uh, you know, I always liked extracurriculars better than classes anyway. So I was going there because I had always wanted to and I got in and so I wasn't going to turn it down because I knew what a small chance it was that anybody gets in there. So I'm not going to like be Like, well, I don't need this. <laughs> you
0: know, like, he must have done very well in high school. A good, yeah.
1: Student. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I, I am a legacy, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but there were lots of legacies who didn't get in, so fuck you bitches. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, wait, what do you mean by legacy? Like, your parents, went, my
1: dad went, oh, yeah, he did. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what does he do? He is a he was a biotech venture capitalist. Now he's retired and trying to, uh, and he might become a podcaster, oh,
0: which no. is ridiculous. Well, so. since you also, since you produce the Risk podcast and yeah. you've made it grow since 2011. Mm-hmm. Your dad's probably going to look at you to uh, help grow his podcast.
1: Yeah, they definitely ask me questions. uh, But I don't know. I don't know if... I mean, whatever. I want my dad to be happy and do whatever he wants to do. But I don't know if he has a sense of how insane the internet is. And it would Mm. be kind of like a conservative talk show because he's a kind of conservative... Well, he's that's the thing. I, I It's hard to describe. Like, he's socially liberal, but he just wants to pay very low taxes and, like, have strong defense. And he cares more about, like, the well-being of the economy than, like, prioritizing socially progressive issues, even though he is socially progressive. Because his theory is, like, if we don't have a well-defended country where people have jobs, then nothing else matters, you know? So
0: he's like an old-school Republican, like a Reagan Republican, maybe.
1: Kind of, yeah. Like a Republican that believes that things like lower taxes actually help people so it's not about like i want to keep everything for myself although he does feel like you know i made this money i want to be able to keep most of it but like it's more about like i believe that lower taxes stimulate more job growth and like economic well-being right it's not like you know i just want more money and i hope everybody else dies you right.
0: know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and he probably thinks welfare just uh you know enables people that kind of stuff
1: yeah i guess yeah he, he kind of feels like if you give people too much they're not going to be motivated to work
0: right yeah, yeah. that's what pretty much you, old school republican yeah or that
1: like it's patronizing to tell people like you need a handout instead of being able to pull yourself up or whatever you know so right whatever
0: <laughs> so is that what his podcast is going to be about
1: I don't even know. I don't know if it'll happen because I feel like, you know, everybody says they want a podcast and then they realize how much work and equipment and know-how and you know uh, elbow grease it really takes. And then they're like, wow, I I can't do this on an ongoing basis. Yeah. If
0: you want to stop someone from having a podcast, just tell them, oh, well, you just have to get an RSS feed.
1: Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, 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 yes. My dad, my dad. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is like, I don't think he has any conception of how what a minefield the internet is, especially if you're talking about like conservative politics in a moment like this, like the last thing I want is for like, all right dudes to like my dad and want to have any contact with him. You know, like I, who, who knows where that could lead. I don't like the idea of that. You know, he
0: has your same last name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want that.
1: No, I don't want that. <laughs> They'll find you. <laughs> Ugh, so we'll see. But you know, I just want him to be happy. So whatever's going to make him happy. And I will, I will teach him about, you know, uh, personal security and keeping himself safe and not engaging with trolls and all that kind of stuff. Make sure he lives in an apartment with a doorman. He does. He does. It's actually very funny. Cause, um, um, he's he's Republican, but when you walk into his building, it really looks like the headquarters of Chairman Mao, like in the in you know whatever whatever year that was. <laughs> right. Hey, you're the Harvard. I Harvard. I don't know what year Mao is on power, <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, but yeah,
1: it's like a lot of like red carpeting and brutalist uh, communist style uh-huh. <laughs> modern architecture. So. so
0: he's a rare Republican in New York.
1: Yes, yes, that's very funny. Like, he loves New York. Um, Mm. I didn't realize this whole podcast was gonna be about my dad, by the way, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) He's very interesting. He's stealing your thunder. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, I can never get out from under his shadow. Um, I feel like Ashley Simpson with Jessica Simpson. Do you guys remember that? Um, But um, yeah, so he, yeah, I don't know why... Uh, He loves New York, but yeah, he's like, he's always the only Republican at the table, the only Republican among his friend groups, like the only Republican everywhere he goes. And he's outspoken. He's proud. Yeah. Yeah. He's out and proud as a Republican Mm -hmm. (laughs) in New York City. (laughs) Out of the closet. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Well, that's good for him. Yeah. Out of the bank vault. I think Republicans had in bank vaults, right? Is he going to listen
0: to this (laughs) podcast?
1: you Uh, You know, unfortunately, parents who Google, you know, you never know. You never know. Do
0: they Google you?
1: Um, I think so. My stepmom's always like, if you don't want us listening to things, then stop putting them on the internet. And I was like, I can't. I'm an independent artist. I have to put things on the internet. And I think that we as family members should be able to have boundaries where I can say, listen, you can listen to this story, but not this one. And I really ask you to respect that. But mm-hmm. I don't know if she feels that way. So. <laughs> I mean,
0: even even your music, like uh, your former band, Excel, yeah. you have a video that has almost two million views now. It's like a one and a half million.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's called Queen. And I directed it and I'm very proud of it.
0: You did. And uh, it's pretty much all drag queens. So your parents are not...
1: Right. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, they're so not conso- uh, yeah. socially conservative at all, you know, and, and I think... I think it's funny. Like, I recently, you know, released a song called Christmas is Bullshit, and mm-hmm. I was very nervous of what my parents would think of that, because they don't like it when I curse, and my dad loves Christmas, like, just very sentimentally. Just, it's, he he literally measures the entire calendar by how far away the day is from Christmas. Oh, no. So, like, in the summer, he'll be like, you know, we're we're 115 days away from Christmas. I hope that math is right. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Um, and, um, and I'm just like, Dad, that's irrelevant. That's like yeah. saying we're, you know, like... 17 years away from 9-11 it's like yeah no one cares (laughs) did did you
0: get coals this christmas (laughs) you put coal in your stocking
1: um no i got money because i asked for money (laughs) (laughs) because i have so much taste
0: to make another christmas green
1: goes with everything
0: (laughs) (laughs) so all right there's a lot to talk to you about because the music. Har- so you went to Harvard. You, you know all these languages? How many languages do you speak?
1: So yeah, I mean, I, I studied Spanish, Portuguese, and French. I also studied some Latin in high school. You know, what so did you want
0: to do with that? What was the idea?
1: It's just that I was more about the extracurricular. So I didn't want the academics to be like taking up all my time and energy. So I picked the thing that came easily to me that could never get harder than a certain level. So like with all Mm. languages, especially related languages, all you're going to do is memorize vocabless, learn uh, grammar and conjugation um, and read books and write papers. So like you will never have to like build a monkey from scratch. You know what I mean? Like, like it will never get to a level where you're like, I just cannot handle this. It's just more memorization and practice and reading and whatever. Right. So I was like, That's why I chose three languages instead of just one, because if I did like just Spanish at Harvard, then I would have had to go like, you know, write 60 page papers about, you know, 500 page books, Mm. like twice a semester. But if I do three languages, I can do like three 10 page papers once at the end of the semester. And in between, it's all like vocab quizzes and grammar stuff and like, you know, mini papers. No
0: monkeys. (laughs) No monkeys. No making
1: monkeys, you know?
0: Right. So, but like, what, what do you get with the job when you graduate oh yeah like, so you- i
1: wasn't i wasn't thinking about that because i was always like i want to be an artist um i always okay. wanted to be a, like um an actor and actually i was like super inspired by JLo because i was like oh my god she does everything uh-huh, <laughs> So yeah. i was like she was an actor first and or no she was a dancer first and then she was an actor and then she was a singer and then she had a fashion line and then she had a perfume line so i was like i she, can do that too and then I did. she's your
0: inspiration <laughs> she was your inspiration well
1: yeah i think she was inspirational at the time because she was just doing everything that caught her interest and mm-hmm. like killing it at everything you know so that was really exciting because i'm not somebody who just wants to do one thing one way forever right So, yeah, but I loved acting. So I I was thinking that I'm going to graduate college, come back to New York and be an actor. And meantime, I have to earn a degree here. And Harvard, you know, does get incredibly advanced in every subject that they offer. So if I had chosen math, I would have been like dead at the end of first semester. But with Spanish, Portuguese and French, it was like, I know that I already have 10 years of experience with Spanish and four years of Latin and like a little bit of Portuguese from taking capoeira classes in New York and Mm -hmm. stuff. And like, they're all so closely related. So... Um, I can do these three languages, not have too much homework and have plenty of time to do like plays and dance and improv and music and all that kind of stuff.
0: I imagine knowing those languages help your acting resume as well.
1: I mean, it's a line on it, but you know, Mm I like my problem with acting is that it's, it's all trying to do the job and Mm -hmm. like waiting for other people to allow you to do the job unless you want to write a play and put it up yourself. But that's a different job than just acting, you know?
0: Right. It's like the opposite of stand-up comedy where anyone can go do it immediately. Exactly.
1: Which is why like something like stand-up is more appealing to me because the the path is to do it all the time and then you might get other opportunities, but you will be doing it all the time if you hope to make any progress.
0: Did you pursue acting and go on auditions and do that? I
1: did. And, you know, something that was hard for me was that I'm I mean it just is what it is I'm not a size zero with no body fat and like Uh that makes it hard as a young woman to feel like you have a future in the acting industry now not as much because like there's so so much more body and age and whatever representation and like even like trans women and like just there's so many more kinds of women being represented and being successful in the industry now than there were in like 2002 when I graduated high school in 2006 when I came out of college and Mm -hmm. all that and so like I didn't see a lot of, and this is silly because it's like, there's 10 bajillion acting jobs that you don't see on the big screen in the lead role, you know? So it's not like everybody needs to be Julia Roberts, you know, but, um, I didn't see that it would be an easy road for me as like a size 10, 12 with like not perfect skin, not perfect teeth, not perfect hair, like, you know, whatever. So, yeah. I, did did I, you go on auditions? Yeah, yeah. I went on a bunch of auditions. I never like had representation. So I was like, you know, combing backstage magazine or backstage of the paper or mm-hmm. whatever, looking for auditions and like going to open calls. And, you like, have
0: to have so much drive to even go through that process.
1: Totally. And I think it's just better if you do the route of like going to school for it or starting when you're two years old and your parents can like, you know, devote their lives to being your momager. And like by the time you're 16, you've right. like done 10 commercials and put like, $25,000 in the bank like whatever, you know, like it's just I don't think that the way I went about it was Most conducive to succeeding at it, you know But also I didn't have like the right mindset at that time in my life to be able to handle it
0: Yeah, acting seems like uh, Once the gatekeeper is so the gate is so high. Yeah, but once you get past that gate and you get some representation Then it could be more
1: Right, but you're still going on auditions all the time and not getting 99% of them and yeah, you know Just trying to find your path and i'd rather spend my time like making work instead of trying to get work and not getting it, which is what actually drove me to music.
0: That's the big difference. So then you're like, all right, forget this acting thing. You started, were you always a singer?
1: I guess I've always had the ability to sing. And I've always, um, like I did like chorus in school. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was kind of part of the standard thing of like what everybody did at my school and then there was also like the option to you know be part of other choral activities and um but
0: then there's the people that got the singing leads
1: yeah so you know i went to a tiny private all-girls school so there were 46 girls in my graduating class all-girls like, school yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, so like no. we didn't like put on musicals and you know because there just wasn't the like talent pool to like be able uh-huh. to pull that off i guess you know so we put like straight plays and all was that it a stuff. religious school no 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 um Actually, it was founded by I think she's a lesbian <laughs> in uh-huh. 1892 or whatever, Clara B. Spence. Uh-huh. Um, I think she was uh, she was into the chicks and so, she like rescued orphans and stuff and like set up a school or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's cool, but it's yeah. just
0: a private school for just for girls. For girls, yeah, yeah. Mm. Why do you, did you ever ask your parents why they sent you to an all-girl school? Um,
1: more so, it's that they sent me to a private school because at the time, like in the 80s in New York. I guess among their friend group or whatever, there mm-hmm. was this belief that, like, if you send your kid to a public school in New York City, it will turn out badly, which is not true, right. of course. Like, there are bad public schools, bad private schools, good public schools, good, you know, private schools, whatever. Yeah. It's like, you know, whatever. But that was it's their... be a hudlum. Yeah, yeah. They, they were just like, you know, if you go to public school in New York City, you will be killed. It's, it's, yes. I think they were just overprotective and kind of over... But, you know, they came to New York in, like, the 60s and 70s where things were much rougher yes. and much grittier and, like who knows mm-hmm. you know but but yeah i mean whatever i have friends who went to public schools in new york city in those years and are fine and are alive yeah now, new york so. city has
0: changed a lot since the 70s mm-hmm. like totally. quite a lot
1: totally and i think like at maybe as outsiders like my mom came from outside london and my dad came from outside boston to new york so New York was, all they knew of New York was New York in the 60s and 70s, totally crazy, people right. telling them, oh, when you go to New York, don't go below 42nd Street and don't go above 86th Street and don't go to the west side. Yeah. You know, so that's a different picture of New York than like, I grew up here and I'm fine, so my kid can be fine here too. Yeah, know?
0: I mean, even just in the 80s, you would see prostitution, drug dealing, graffiti. Mm-hmm. Now you don't see anything. You don't even see graffiti, which is not Except normal Except in for
1: Bushwick. Us. So cute. Right, but that's
0: like, <laughs> exactly, that's not even graffiti. It's just like people that are hired to make mm-hmm. graffiti like art.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I guess there's some, but not really.
1: Yeah, you know, depends where you go, but yeah.
0: Yeah, but no drug dealing on the corner, no prostitution.
1: Yeah, because you just like text somebody and they come to your house. Like that's what I hear. I've <laughs> never used drugs, so I don't know. But it seems that like drug dealing is like not scary anymore, yeah. depending on how you are accessing it. You know, you've
0: never used any drugs, Mm-mm. marijuana? Nope. Alcohol?
1: Uh, I've I've had a drink, but I've never been drunk.
0: You just had one drink?
1: Yeah, I think the closest I ever got to any kind of near intoxication was that i had like two shots in the course of like two hours or an hour or something like that Mm -hmm. um and i i felt like i wasn't able to edit my sentences and my jokes enough so that things were like coming out sharply so like i would say a sentence that had a joke in it with 15 words instead of 10 and so the timing wouldn't be as good so it wouldn't hit as well and i was like this is terrible were you I, on stage I, no no no. i was just talking to a friend yeah, but i was yeah. just like i don't like that i can't be funny because i'm starting right. to get a little affected by this alcohol like fuck this you yeah
0: know? yeah you you lose a little control yeah 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 so you've never used any drugs are you just saying that because your parents might be listening no
1: <laughs> it's true all my friends will testify to it <laughs> yeah
0: anyway. um so that must have been a choice because as we go through life we are just end up in front of it at some point yeah yeah, yeah. so it was a choice for you
1: yeah for sure because i or have you
0: always hung out with square people
1: oh well no i you know i hang out with everybody and like you know uh luckily as as adults now i think my friends are well what's really funny is that now that we're in our 30s everybody's like oh man i just realized i should stop drinking and i'm like yes welcome to my my birth (laughs) that is when i realized i should not drink you know what i mean
0: why why did you never try uh marijuana
1: um I guess because I'm definitely somebody who doesn't want to do illegal things except for like jaywalk and spit on the street and whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but like I don't I don't want to ever have like things that I've done that I could get in big trouble for. Like mm-hmm. definitely the idea of like going to jail or getting involved with law enforcement or whatever is like a big Fear of mine I really hope That that never happens In Why, my life Why is there any
0: history Of that
1: No but just you know All you ever hear Is like Oh this person Was taken into A police station And somehow they died Right You right. know And it's like <laughs> Okay well Then I don't want The police to ever Have any reason To take me anywhere Or do anything right. With
0: me You know <laughs> Were you a victim Of one of these Scared straight programs In elementary school
1: <laughs> No I think it's just You know Living life And reading the news And yeah. talking to people And hearing about stuff And mm-hmm. You know, like, and I think, you know, as a woman, like, you're always on guard about the idea of, like, I do not want men taking me somewhere and having authority over me and not having anybody checking up on what they're doing yeah. or caring. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's, that's life as a woman, you right.
0: know? You know, and alcohol is probably the worst of them with that.
1: Right. I mean, you don't want to be out of control. You don't want to not remember things. You don't want people putting stuff in your drink. Like, there's just no reason. Like, there's mm-hmm. just no appeal. And I think... um, It's funny because I feel like a lot of people use substances to dull emotions or escape emotions, Mm -hmm. and that never really occurred to me. And I've, I've been through, like, horrible bouts of depression and, like, disassociation and, like, not being able to feel time pass and not feeling that life was real and feeling like I didn't want to wake up and all that kind of stuff. And it was awful, But I just kind of bore through it. There was never a time where I was like, well, maybe I should drink or maybe Mm -hmm. I should get high. Like, never. I was just like, this just fucking sucks. And Mm I kind of don't want to live anymore, but I can't do anything about it because that would, like, destroy my parents. And, like, I can't drink and I can't do drugs. And so I guess I'll just try to fucking bear with this until it passes, you know. Is that
0: what you did? Did you have any tools like meditation or prayer or anything (sighs) like that or just wait it out?
1: Well, I feel like my whole life has been a course in like figuring out how to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And I've finally gotten to the place where I really can. I mean, sometimes I still get sad about certain things or I don't feel great or whatever. But most of the time I feel pretty good. Um, and I think it was through feeling horrifically bad that I was like, okay, I've got to figure out like what can I do to not go through this because this is too bad to... To go through again, you know, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I learned about things like, you know, meditation, correcting your thought patterns. So like, you know, when you start thinking negatively, like just switch to more positive thoughts or like step back and get some perspective and think about, you know, like what you're grateful for and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, That's a big one. Yeah. And I definitely like rely a lot on like reaching out to friends and family, you know, and, and talking to people and telling people like I feel horrible and I need someone to just listen and help me, you know, like so. Therapy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I went to therapy um, when I was 13, and my parents were separating. um, And that was, I think that was around the time where like, I couldn't feel time passing. And I just felt totally... Just out of touch with reality, and it was really terrifying. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I was like, I need some therapy, and so I went to a therapist for six months, and that was really helpful.
0: Yeah, that seems like a tough time—thirteen in general. Mm-hmm. But then to have your parents separating, mm-hmm. it's like you're you're coming into yourself. You're, you don't yeah. know who your ide- what your identity is, yeah. and then your parents, your rock, are breaking apart.
1: Yeah, everything kind of struck at once because, like, my parents separated. I got my period. I entered middle school mm-hmm. in an all girls private school. I lost all my friends because everybody was like, "Oh, I'm." I'm I'm going to switch clicks now, or I'm going to choose a side. So like we went from like literally fifth grade, it was like, everybody's just together. And like, these people are friends and these people are friends and like, nobody cares about status and whatever. And then literally like summer happened. And then we come back for sixth grade and all of a sudden, everybody's like, I got to choose a side. I got to figure out if I'm cool or if I'm a nerd or if I'm somewhere in the middle or whatever. And like, if I'm cool, then I can't associate with anybody who's not cool. So like, I'm going to start being a bitch to people who aren't cool. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? Everyone's like was,
0: scrambling for an identity. It was
1: literally like a like a switch flipped. Yeah. And it was it was so traumatizing, you know, because it's like, I have a history with you. I have a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And you're just turning your back on me for no discernible reason, other than that, that you want the status of being seen as cool. But like, you didn't care about that two months ago. Right. You know? And yeah. then like people started to smoke and drink and like all this kind of stuff. Where it's like, guys we're children what are you doing with a cigarette yeah you know like it was just such a like it was definitely a traumatic transition i, I think. wonder if
0: it's worse too because it's such a small school that there's mm-hmm. not so many people to kind of you know water it down
1: yeah it's like you know everybody's on display you know it's like you can't go through anything privately because there's mm-hmm. just there's not a sea of people to get lost in it's a very small group everyone uh-huh. knows
0: everything about everybody
1: pretty much or, or just like you know everybody has to deal with each other at some point yeah. and yeah, news travels fast and pe- people are gossiping and like, there's no real secrets, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. How many people in your high school?
1: Um, so it was a K through 12 school. That was oh, the other God. thing that was kind of funny. So it's like you're 18 years old sharing a space with five year olds, you know, um, wow. which kind of like came to a head in my senior year. Cause my senior project, like our advisor was like, you know, you can't have this, you know, joke that like lightly touches on something having to do with maybe a curse word implied or whatever, right. because what if a kindergartner wanted to come to your show? They have to be welcome to come to your show. And we're like, they don't know we're alive. They're not <laughs> coming to the show, right, you yeah. know? So it's just stupid shit like that. But yeah, so, so the whole school at the time I was going there was about 550 girls so spread among 13 classes that is crazy. or 13 grades. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So you started singing you've been you i guess you've always been singing but then after you're like all right this acting thing is not for me then you decided to consciously pursue singing?
1: Well, I got serious about singing in college because I joined a uh, like a funk band, a nine-piece mm-hmm. funk band oh, uh, cool. called Natural Progression for the six of you who remember it. Yeah. Uh, there were nine people in the band, only six remember it. No, I'm kidding. It's like a true um, but, funk <laughs> band. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, so I joined that band and you know, we started writing songs and I wanted to sing them and I wanted to like know what I was doing. So the summer after, I think sophomore year, I started taking voice lessons in New York City over the summer mm-hmm. and I spent literally every Every penny I had on them because voice lessons are so fucking expensive. And I think I had like $2,000 to my name and every lesson was $100. And I took a lot of them over the summer and mm. I like just was completely broke by the end of the summer. But dedication. like, but it was really encouraging because I think in the first lesson, my voice teacher was like, you have the best voice I've ever like. I don't know. If it, I think she said you have the best opera voice i've ever heard which is really funny because i don't use that for shit and i'm not interested in like singing opera in any serious way i like doing it just around the house but i wouldn't pursue it
0: yeah it seems like with opera the voice almost comes from a different place Mm. especially for funk
1: yeah 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 it's pretty (laughs) different from funk maybe i should have done an opera funk fusion and we would have gotten (laughs) further but yeah she was like she was like do you have any interest in opera and i was like not at all Mm -hmm. and she was like that's tragic because you have the best operatic voice i think i've ever heard and i was like Sorry, I want to be in on Broadway, you know, like yeah. And so yeah, it was funny. There's
0: uh, not a lot of opportunity in opera, I would imagine. Mm-hmm.
1: Opera opportunity,
0: yes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so this spunk band, you're writing your own. you the lead singer, mm-hmm. and you're writing your own music, and you're, yeah, yeah. you're performing around.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would write like you know lyrics and melodies, and then the whole band would like collaborate on like you know the like bass lines and horn lines and all that kind of stuff. And we performed around campus, um, and that was, you know, every. Person I've worked with in music has taught me something important. And I think um, one thing that I definitely learned from that band was, like, sharing the stage with fellow musicians. And, like, even though you're the lead singer and you have the microphone and you're, like, singing the song, you need to share the spotlight with everybody. And you Mm. need to not make anybody feel like they're not important or whatever. So, like, there would be things, like, we would have, like, there's a bass solo in this song and maybe... I would be noticing something going on in the audience and then start like interacting with an audience member on the mic during the bass solo and not thinking about that that's disrespectful because it's taking attention away. It's like talking over someone's solo. It's not very nice, you know? But it didn't occur to me because I was kind of thinking like, but this is entertaining what's happening. And so if the show is entertaining, then we did a good show. Mm -hmm. But then afterwards, the bass player would be like, hey, don't talk over my solo, you know? And I was like, oh yeah that does make a lot of sense but it didn't occur to me until you said that you were know? you playing
0: an instrument as well as singing? no 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 <laughs> see i think that's the hardest part because yeah. like when a singer doesn't have an instrument and you're not singing what do right. you do yeah
1: you just kind of like dance or like but you're you the know, only one in the watch band watch the that, person who's playing or right step aside or
0: that's why it makes it particularly hard for you because <laughs> yeah. yeah. what do you do you're the only right. one right yeah. yeah. And I was I mean, the
1: only girl with eight guys, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a fun experience. And then it also kind of taught me like, so I was the one who was most serious about us, like pursuing what we were doing, like music as a band together. Like, right. and everybody else was like, well, I'm going to law school next year. So, like, and, and I was like, yeah, but can we just make a recording of these four songs that we've been working on all year that are so fun that everybody loves? And like, can we just have a record of this? Like, we're ne- like, we were 22, about to graduate college. Yeah. Ne- like, this is our chance, you know? And they were like, like, yeah, but that would cost so much. And I was like, no, it's $450 split among nine people. It's $50 a person. Right. It's right. not for a recording of four songs, like a professional recording of four songs. It's not a lot. And they were like, I can't spend $50 on this. And I was like, you're going to Harvard Law School <laughs> next year. I think you will make it back, mm-hmm. you know?
0: And when did you have this conversation with the band? Was it towards the end?
1: yeah i think it was like you know whatever maybe sometime during senior year i was like hey guys like you know if we're gonna record uh our songs we've got to like get that going you yeah, know and they're like i can't spend fifty dollars to that's record four songs a <laughs>
0: rookie college mistake which i made as well i had a band in college and mm. we actually started to get courted by emi oh wow and we had we went and met with the a&r in his big house and yeah we had been a band for like three years and then that's when i realized people didn't even want a record deal. They want to stay mm. independent or like, yeah, my, don't they fund missile creators and stuff? Ah! And I'm like, what is going on? What have we been doing all these years? Yeah. But you don't think about business aspect in a college.
1: Yeah. Like it's all fun until there's any question of money in any yeah. sense, you know? Yeah. I think
0: kids nowadays are probably more hip to like, the whole sp- the whole right. spectrum of right. what's going on. But
1: also, like, a lot of them are, you know, like, DIY, you know, so they don't have to think about, like, oh, well, where are we going to come up with $3,000 to do X, Y, Z? Because it's like, well, we'll do it in our basement, you know? Right, the first... yeah,
0: the internet wasn't around in my college right. to, like, just put your music out. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, did you end up making a recording?
1: <laughs> we did, and I don't have it, because it was the kind of thing where, like, we made those four songs, we put them on, like... The you know like the college would allow you to have like you know fas.harvard.edu slash like jcasus or whatever to like put some stuff right. up or whatever very
0: catchy uh, website there yeah yeah
1: <laughs> faculty of arts and sciences you know um, but uh, so our guitarist put it up on his page of that and I I was on an IBM ThinkPad at that time uh-huh, you know yeah. and so I think I downloaded it to my IBM ThinkPad in two thousand six and then. I don't know what happened to it from there. I'm sure maybe somebody from that band still has access to those recordings on some old drive in their mom's attic somewhere. You don't have them. You know? I don't. And I don't know. I, I'm sure I could reach out to them and see if anybody has them, but I they might be lost to the uh, the ether, which is kind of okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right,
0: once they're online, you can't get rid of them.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, don't don't You think they're bad? Me. No, they're not. But, but, you know, here's the thing. When I started, because like... I have always had like a quirky sense of humor and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And with songwriting, I feel like when you're a new songwriter, sometimes it can take you some time to be able to iron out your kink so that your goofiness isn't like taking people out of the song, that it's like working for the song or that like you... I don't know, like, you're just, like, thoughtful about, like, is this lyric kind of clunky and dorky and stupid? Mm -hmm. Or is it, like, funny and, like, well put together, you know? So I feel like, you know, I was a fucking goofy-ass college kid writing songs and just having fun and being silly with my friends, not necessarily thinking about, like, how does this really sound, you know? like, And so I think there was some goofiness to it. I think people really liked the songs back then, but Mm -hmm. um, it's not really what I want to be associated with is like this is what jc can do as a songwriter because like it was when i was just starting and right. there's some goofiness there that i'd rather is kind of lost <laughs> to the archives you yeah know? i think
0: with any art form it could take a while to develop that instinct to yeah. hear it as an objective mm-hmm. listener
1: yeah and to put like the coolness into it you mm-hmm. know
0: yeah but not not have it overshadowed by whatever yeah. thing you have going on yeah
1: it's very easy to not be cool you have to like try to make something cool you right know?
0: like if you're putting too much emotion into a song It might be over-emoting. Yeah. Yeah. Or like
1: if you're wording something in a way where it's like your out-of-touch uncle might say it that way because he's not creative. But you are creative. Find a cooler way to say that, you know? Right,
0: right. It's like Paul McCartney's uh, story. His dad told him, don't say yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, improper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. And
1: what if it had been yes, yes, yes? Nobody would have, you know.
0: Would have been pretty dorky. Like
1: affirmative, affirmative, affirmative. (laughs) Like that would have been like kind of cool but i don't know right. <laughs> it's better she loves to be a you. yes yes
0: yes yeah <laughs> so uh after college you're like i love the singing thing mm-hmm. what did you do did you
1: i think I, I did start working on music right away simultaneously as i was doing the acting thing um were you
0: heartbroken when the band broke up and like oh no um, I had a nine-piece band.
1: Yeah, well, no, I I was really frustrated by the whole we don't want to spend $50 to make a record mm. of our four songs that we've been playing for two years that people really like, you yeah. know? So I think that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh, like, I'm the only person who's serious about doing music long-term mm-hmm. as, like, a possible career in this band, you know? Um. And so then I started working on some solo stuff. Um. And I was just starting. It was so... You know, I just like wrote whatever I felt and like, you know, grabbed a friend who played piano and had them help me figure out the chords and blah, 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 or Mm -hmm. a friend who played guitar and whatever. So I started working on some songs. And then I did put together an album, which again, was like very earnest from like a young dorky person. (laughs) Well, you, um, you wrote a
0: whole album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I And yeah, I kind of wrote like a very piecemeal EP that like made zero sense together. It was like four songs that did not have anything to do with each other. But mm. were, I think they were all like pretty good. But it, it was just lunacy, you know, right, right. Uh, together as like a collection. And then um I wrote a full album that was m- a little more cohesive. But again, I had like $0. And it was my first time putting an album together. I produced it myself. I didn't know much about that. I just taught myself the absolute basics of like garage band back in 2007 you know it's yeah. so like this was bare bone shit and when i listen to it now it's like the songs are really good the vocal performances are good the lyrics the melodies are great the arrangement is great but you can't get beyond the fact that these are garage band from 2007 programmed synth instruments of like bass and drums like things that don't sound good yeah yeah done that way unless you put like crazy effects on them or you like have like a really coherent aesthetic with them and all that kind of stuff so like it just sounds like
0: dated. Yeah, like like
1: here's a shitty demo of what this song could be right so not yeah. even like a
0: cool demo but like a lo-fi demo can sometimes well, be cool
1: yeah yeah it's not cool it's like right. it's like this is someone who it's their first time through doing this. Right. You know? Yeah. So but you know, you gotta start somewhere.
0: Yeah. It's all practice. Yeah. To get better. Yeah. So when did you end up in the band, Excel?
1: Yeah. So I did that first like guitari poppy country kind of album or whatever. And then I did a like indie like electro dance pop album solo mm-hmm. um which i'm currently uh reworking and like getting remixed and remastered so that cool. it sounds a lot better than it did when i put it out with zero dollars
0: did you perform that live
1: i did yeah i performed it around new york um
0: how did you do that just backing track and singing yeah 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And,
1: and that was another thing of like before the band i just i i don't think i knew like a lot about like what should i be thinking about to be to make my show and my music like the best it can be and like make my videos the best they can be. But I also had zero dollars. So it's like, there's only so much you can do with zero dollars, you know? Um, So, yeah, so I performed that around town. I did like, uh, you know, live vocals over tracks. And then toward the end of that period before the band happened, I was uh, doing shows with um, drag queen backup dancers who were awesome. And they're still awesome drag queens. I love them. Was that
0: your idea to bring them in as backup dancers? Yeah. To help the live show?
1: Yeah, because I knew them. Um, there used to be a bar in Williamsburg called Sugarland, which was wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, and like so like gritty and crazy and like just, you know, all these different kind of performers coming through. And so that was a real revelation for me was discovering the like gay club performance opportunity circuit for like indie you know music and drag mm-hmm. acts and you know variety performers and yeah because excel
0: kind of you were you were part of that like very loyal it seemed like a pretty strong niche
1: yeah but even before that Like when I started, because what happened was I was working um, like 40 hour a week day jobs and stuff for a few years after college because I just wanted that stability. Because I tried to do the like piecemealing and income together when I first got out of college and it was just not happening. It was like making me crazy with like panic of like you know, how the fuck am I getting enough money to live and like piece everything together? So mm-hmm. I was like, whatever, I'll just get a nine to five as long as it's only a nine to five and not a New York 7 a.m. to fucking 12 a.m. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> but so I was like, I will get a 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and that's what that means right. kind of job.
0: Punch the clock out and stay out.
1: Absolutely. And so I got one of those and I stayed there for two and a half years. And that was when I made my, like, I think I made both albums that I made on my own before Excel, um, during that time. Um, and then I left that to work at a slightly more irregular, uh, job as like online t- test tutoring. So like there would be set hours, but it was like at different times and whatever. Mm-hmm. And that lasted about a year. And then, I think when I when I went into that job, because I didn't have to be up early in the morning is when I started going out at night, um, like on like a Tuesday going out at 11pm and staying out till 3am. And that's where you meet the most interesting people that can like change your life in New York City. Like that's when they're out, because they don't have to get up early either. And they want to meet people too. How did you
0: end up just stumbling into this world?
1: Well, I remember a lot of my friends from college were leaving for grad school at that time. And um, so I felt like I was losing everybody that I was close to in New York City. So I was like, I need to meet new people. And so Mm -hmm. I had met some people through doing musical performances. And um, I think those were like, that. I think my friend Peter, who puts on a lot of shows and is uh, gay and wonderful and whatever, and like involved in gay nightlife and stuff. I think he was the one who was like, come with me to this karaoke night at Barracuda and like, whatever. And then like, I met um, just a lot of people from going out and performing and, and a lot of them happened to be gay and really nice. And stuff. so they were like, Oh, come to this gay bar, come to this gay club, come to this gay event, whatever. And before long, I was like, consistently going out on weeknights and staying out really late and meeting all these kooky crazy characters and like all these people who ended up being on drag race and like ended up being on you know various like shows and things and whatever and um uh, did did
0: you feel kind of outside of that world as well because you're you're not you're not a gay woman
1: right right um but i yeah i mean but there's always been a symbiosis between gay men and women you Mm -hmm. know like as long as you're kind of respectful and you understand like this is a gay men's space so don't fuck it up with like being a woman who's like you know stop having sex in the bathroom and please play this song and not that song and like i want to make this drag show about my bachelorette party you know then like as long as you're like nice and cool like you're (laughs) welcome in those places yeah for sure and like everybody's just so nice and and also like if you sing well or if you have a good personality like you're in you know so yeah so i met a lot of cool people that way and um uh yeah. And so I met like a lot of like musical collaborators, and that's actually where I met the people uh who ended up becoming Excel. So
0: And it was you and one other woman, right?
1: Well, so what happened was the that karaoke night that Peter brought me to was hosted by the drag queen Mimi I'm First, um, and was promoted by Zach, who's a music producer, and Ronnie, who's a singer. And then Mimi was cast on the third season of Drag Race. Then she came to Zach and said, "You know, I want to do a song because, like, every every drag queen who gets on reality TV uh, like gets a song right. that's ready to go by the time their TV starts airing, so that people buy the song." Blah blah blah. And Zach was like, "Well, I don't want to do um, like just a song with a drag queen, but like, what if we make it more interesting by like making a girl group that has a drag queen in it? Nobody's ever seen that. That would be cool." Were you um, so
0: psyched to be part of a group again? Because I, I know being a solo artist can be um, it could be stressful. It's like the the good the good thing is that you make all the decisions, but right. then also it's like all on you.
1: Right. It, it wasn't so much that I was excited about being a gr- in a group. I think as I was excited that talented, driven, serious people Mm. were looking at me and being like, we want you to be part of this thing that we're doing. Right. So that was cool. Like I, you know, I was doing my music and like they had seen my shows and I I actually had met Zach at like a um, music networking event like many months before. And then I ran into him again at the karaoke night. I was like, oh, aren't you that guy from the music thing? He was like, yeah, blah, 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 whatever. And so we kind of knew of each other. And then I had met Mimi when I first went to the karaoke night, and she was very sweet. And like we, you know, kind of became buddies through that. And then so when Mimi came to Zach, and then Zach said, How about we make a girl group with a drag queen in it? They were talking, and they were like, Well, who could be the girls? And we were like, Oh, well, JC's great and Ronnie's great. So maybe we should talk to them about it. And then that's kind of how it um, started. Would, so, you,
0: would you both dress in drag?
1: No, but we all had like, you know, because drag generally or, like, conventional drag has, like, a very made-up and, like, you know, like, lots of makeup, lots of shading, lots right. of wigs and corsets and padding and, like, tights and sparkly dresses yeah. and heels and nails and jewelry. It's, like, it's a very over-feminized look to compensate for the fact that it's a man underneath all that right. to create that illusion. So, um and also pop music, we were just thinking, like, we need to all look very done up, you mm-hmm. know? But... Uh, You know, Ronnie and I were not trying to look like we were drag queens, or we were, you know, anything other than women in makeup and wigs and whatever. But there's a big difference between like, when you're a woman with like a, a fake ponytail that's enormous, and then like a corset and heels and spandex and sparkles and jewelry and nails and this and that. So like, we all kind of matched in the sense that like we were all equally made up. It's just that Mimi was also wearing fake boobs and hip pads and stuff. And we weren't, you know? Right, right. Yeah.
0: That's cool. So did you guys do touring?
1: Um, we didn't really do any like, c- um, continuous touring, but what we would do is like hit up all the prides in the country and like book whatever gigs we could. And so or we festivals might, and stuff. yeah, we might have like five pride festivals in a summer. So we'd fly out for like one gig in Salt Lake city and then one gig in LA. How did you get
0: your video up to, Almost two million views.
1: So what's really cool about the Queen video is that um it was organic. You know, mm-hmm. like I mean, here's the thing. So Mimi was always very good about figuring out like how can we maximize um timing and like people's attention and what people are gonna be looking for at the right time. Mm. So shh, I think that I think that the Queen video coincided with one of the first RuPaul's drag race. All Stars season or something like that that Mimi was cast on. So she was like, we need to time the release of the Queen video to be right near the debut of the All Stars season that I'm on. And we need to fill it with all the queens that are on that season because everybody's going to be looking for those queens. So Mm. we need to make sure that they're all in it. And there's this debut event in my club at Philly. And so we should uh, film part of the video at that club that night and get all those queens to just pop in and do a little cameos. Is the network that put on the
0: show okay with that?
1: Yeah, logo. Yeah, I mean logo. You know, is a fucking guy sitting in a closet with five dollars. You know, what I mean? so like <laughs> okay. like right at the time it was. You know, so cool. so like. Um, I mean, the guy isn't in the closet in his personal life, but right. the, the office is a you know a closet size. You yeah. know, Like logo was teeny tiny at the time, and and yeah, they didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. That was never a consideration. I think that you know, drag race is fascinating because we really saw it become an industry unto itself from the beginning. Mm. So like Mimi's manager is a guy named David Charpentier who um set up a production and management company specifically for RuPaul's Drag Race cast members because there wasn't, you know, for a while like an industry set up to get them all work but like they're all famous and they have such so many fans and so many people who want to go see them right and so at a certain point you're like wait a minute i can represent 15 of these girls and put them on a tour around the world you know and like and and make them all work together mm-hmm. because people might not shell out 40 dollars to see just this one person but they will shell out 40 dollars to see 10 of their favorite queens right. all together in an arena you know so he was brilliant and he really saw that opportunity and like the the whole drag race like industry really grew up at the time that we were a band and we were doing stuff. So
0: were you almost supporting yourself with music at that point?
1: No, not at all. No. I, I I um was tutoring to make most of my money starting in. I guess around 2010-ish. And so then I, I started um, working with Kevin Allison on the Risk podcast in early 2011. Mm-hmm. And I joined Excel. Like Excel became an entity in, I believe, September of 2010. And we put out, put out our first song on January 1st, 2011.
0: So 2011 is a big year for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: I really made the transition of like, okay, I'm not doing solo stuff anymore. I'm focusing on this band. And then I... I'm also tutoring to pay the bills, and I'm also working with Kevin Allison on this mm-hmm. podcast thing. And, um, all right, let, let's talk about juggling. both at the
0: same time if yeah, we can. Okay. True. So, Kevin Allison has this podcast, Risk, where people tell stories, true stories they'd never dare to share. Yeah. That's the, the elevator pitch.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so how did you end up linking up with him?
1: Yeah. So, that was a funny story because, so when I was working at the tutoring company that was like online tutoring, whatever, that I left my 40 hour a week job for, they did downsized, um, the online tutoring department. And so I was let go. And then, so I was really like, okay, now you have to like, just stop being afraid and stop trying to look for things that are just going to pay the bills, but that kind of bore you and make you miserable and like really go for it. Like, like you've lost everything you have, you're starting at zero. What are you going to do? You know? And so I was really just feeling like I need to do something that feels like what I should be doing. And I was listening to the Risk Podcast. And at about that time, Kevin tweeted that he was looking for somebody to work with him on it. And I was like, well, this is never going to happen, but what do I have to lose? So I just emailed him and we had an interview a couple weeks later and then he hired me. Um to help promotion and
0: produce it.
1: Really at the beginning it was to help him as a human being (laughs) like survive. (laughs) You know, like he was Uh like he was like, I need an assistant who can get me in order and like help me live while i try to make this show happen right. you know cuz his life was a mess and everything was chaotic and he was coming off like years of starving and failing and like having not mm-hmm. two pennies to rub together and getting divorced and it was just a mess so he was like i just need a person who can help me not die you right. know <laughs>
0: you're like, so i was like i've survived this long
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i was like well i love the state and you're mm-hmm. kevin from the state so even if this is kind of a shit show it'll be like a cool experience to work with you in some way you know right
0: i think that's one thing a lot of uh independent artists when they're when they're working on their art they think they have to get a job that they hate Mm -hmm. to support themselves Mm -hmm. it's this weird thing of like you have to be a starving artist as one and then like you have to have a job that you don't use your brain at
1: right right or that doesn't have anything to do with what you want to do and i actually Mm -hmm. think now looking back i think it's so much smarter to get a job that is in some way related to what you want even if it's not exact Mm -hmm. because through working with kevin it's like i didn't set out to be a podcast producer. I didn't set out to assist Kevin with not dying. You know, like (laughs) I didn't, I didn't dream of that. And I didn't think that I could do that. But I knew that I love Kevin. I love his work. I used to watch the state when I was a little girl. So it felt exciting and special and meaningful. And I loved the podcast. And I believed in the podcast. So that felt meaningful, like meaningful work is a huge element of being a happy person, Mm -hmm. you know? So I felt drawn to that and also is at least in the entertainment industry in some way. And now looking back, that has been so hugely valuable because along the way, I've met comedians and writers and actors and musicians and storytellers that I never would have met if I hadn't taken this job that didn't seem to have much to do with what I ultimately wanted to do, but still was in the same industry.
0: Right. So when you started with Risk, they had, I mean, now it's up to a million per month million downloads uh, per month. I wish no, it was a million dollars per month. That would be great. You know, get, get every listener to
1: throw a dollar in. Yes. Yeah, well, you try. <laughs> tell us how. <laughs> yeah. You're the producer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're telling me what to do. So tell me. <laughs>
0: so how, how did you uh, help? it Well, I guess just like it all kind of helps each other. If you help him get his life together, yeah. then you're helping the podcast.
1: Yeah. And pretty soon after i started it became clear that you know because we were like we were like three or four people um mm-hmm. just very loosely trying to get something to happen so it was kevin who was like you know creating the show hosting it um putting the episodes together making sure they got out every i think at the time it was it might have been once a month or it might have been twice a month i don't remember um And then there was Chris Castiglione, who was like making the website and like advising on business ideas and trying to help us figure out how we might get advertising one day. And then there was um, a guy, Phil, who was, you know, helping us like set up an LLC and a bank account and like trying to think about that aspect of things. And then there's Michelle Walson, who was like actually working with storytellers and helping cast the shows and stuff. So at
0: first it was only once or twice a month. I think so. Yeah.
1: I think it started as a once a month podcast and then it went to twice a month and then eventually we got to weekly. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, tricky
0: because you you need stories from other people mm-hmm. that are good enough to air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the yeah, tricky yeah, yeah. part.
1: Totally. Um, so
0: 2011, you're like, all right, I'm. You're working on this this band. Yeah. You're, you're working on the Risk Podcast. Did yeah. you feel like you were just like promoting, 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 and organizing and organizing? It was a
1: lot of work because I was also tutoring to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. So tutoring was a hundred percent of my income. Uh, risk couldn't afford to pay me for the first six months that i worked there oh, wow. you know and th- that was a funny thing i was like so kevin hired me being like it's a six-week unpaid trial fuck you kevin <laughs> but he didn't have any money so what else was he gonna do and it worked out i'm very happy now you know? but like so um it, uh, you know which is something i think about a lot where it's like if i hadn't had some other income source from tutoring which i had because i had gone to harvard and da da how would i have done that you know so like there it's so real of like we need to find a way to make more internships paid so that more people can do them because mm. unpaid internships are for people who have other income streams because of other advantages or scrappiness or whatever. So right. that is definitely something that I recognize is like my privileges in life definitely facilitated me being able to take a job that was unpaid at the beginning, which then turned into a paid job. Mm-hmm. But I would never have been able to do that if I had been like, well, I have to work 80 hours a week because I only make $15 an hour and yada, yada, you know? Yeah. So anyway, but what was it, shot? <laughs> <laughs> so
0: in 2011, you were oh, yeah. producing all this. So I w-
1: yeah. So I was tutoring many hours a week and like juggling the whole uncertainty of like my calendar is empty for next week but it'll fill up by the end of this week with tutoring clients and stuff um you know prepping for lessons giving lessons you know mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff um rehearsing
0: with the band writing new yeah, music yeah yeah there's the band shows. was
1: so fucking much work all the time because mm-hmm. we we're trying to do things at a high level but we're independent so if we don't do the work it's not going to get done right but if we don't spend the money it's not going to happen yep. but we don't have the money to spend and so there's just a lot of craziness and stress and then also trying to get the podcast off the ground and not being paid for that for the first long time so i kind of recognized right off the bat i was like i love doing this podcast work but i can't afford to keep doing it if i don't figure out a way to make it pay so then i figured out i'm gonna have to be the one to figure out getting the money in order for this podcast Mm -hmm. and figuring out how can we cut our expenses and up our income and diversify our revenue streams and all this kind of stuff how'd you do that yeah so um I remember like in the beginning, there weren't that many income streams because it's like, you know, you have a once a month podcast, a once a month show in, I guess, maybe we were in New York and LA, but I think we were, we used to be at UCB LA forever, which doesn't pay anything. Right. Hi, UCB LA. Um, and so, uh, and, and um, UCB New York. Yeah, don't yeah, pay yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but we were at the pit in New York, which does pay a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so we had, like, a tiny bit of revenue from the live shows, but we were spending too much to produce them. Like, there was somebody who was doing, like, just a few little things, but we were paying that person, like, $100 to do those few little things. And so, like, that was one thing where I was like, Kevin, like – we don't have $100 to be paying somebody to make some copies and like, right. whatever else that person was doing is like that is overspending on that job, we actually don't need that job to be done, mm-hmm. or I can do that for $20 or whatever, you know, right. so just figuring out little things like that, mm-hmm. or like, you know, okay, we're making $300 from the live show, but we're spending $500 to put it up with like a producer and this and that and whatever, we need to figure out how to make it cost $300 so that at least we're not losing money, you know, and then like, In 2011, Kevin was like, I want to start a storytelling school. And so we set that up and that was a new revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, figuring out, okay, if we're going to have about eight students per class and it costs this much for renting space and it costs this much to pay a teacher and it costs this much to, you know, do whatever, we need to charge this much for classes and we can only afford to pay teachers this much to teach. So you're helping with
0: the organization and the business, the the actual numbers.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. Because I was just like, how do I make this make money? so Mm -hmm. that we can do this, you know? And that was really funny because my whole life I had like – been very bristly to the idea of like you need to be a business person or like business is cool or because like my dad's a business person and I just don't see I didn't see us as having anything about that in common I was like you're a business guy you're an artist who wears suits yeah. and I'm an artist yeah. who's crazy and yeah. like I don't understand all these like numbers and facts and like you know systems and whatever that you understand but actually I kind of found through doing it like it's pretty simple. You just figure out like, how can I make money with what I'm doing? What am I spending? Why am I spending it? Could I spend less? Are my books balanced? You know, Mm -hmm. like, am I bringing in more than I'm paying out? You know, and like, you know, this person is doing this thing for this amount of money. Is there anybody who could do it for less or would they be willing to do it for less? And, like, you know, can we find a way to make that fair or what? Like, I, I sound some, like, like a ruthless, like capitalist pig right now. <laughs> yeah. But all I mean is, like, yeah. you know, my thing has always been I would rather be able to employ people for longer more reliably yeah. than to give them $500 for a $200 job now, but then have to tell them next month that they're out of work.
0: You helped risk grow. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's like it's a, it's a machine now. It's-,
1: it's certainly got a lot going on. A lot a going on. A lot You're, going on. There's shows
0: all over the country. <laughs> yeah, and, it's and in coming Canada t- too. Comes out twice a week now. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it's been yeah, it's been an amazing ride. And I, I have to say, like, we have an incredible group of people, including you, yeah, uh, you know, my like, part. yeah, like making it happen. And um, we've just been so lucky to find people that are so passionate about the show. And I think it all comes back to like, Kevin had a great idea for a show mm-hmm. and executed it super well so that people got passionate about it and approached him and said, I want to work on this, even though I could maybe make more money doing something I don't care about. Right. But I really care about this. So I want to like spend my time doing it. And that's just such a wonderful thing. It's like you put out something wonderful in the world and people just are attracted to it and then help you do it. That's Mm -hmm. awesome, you know? So we've been very lucky to have people come out of the woodwork from all over the country just being like, I'm a sound editor. I want to spend 20 hours a week on this show. Um, I'm a publicist. I want to help you out. I'm a tour booker. I want to book you, like
0: awesome mm-hmm. stuff
1: has happened and we've been just super lucky to have fantastic people to help us make it happen and
0: you could tell people are passionate about the podcast because it's put together so well
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know it comes across when you listen yeah that's quality it's not just thrown together
1: yeah there's a lot of like heart and soul that goes into crafting the podcast itself For
0: absolutely. sure, absolutely yeah. yeah and the, the book came out and now you're a published author yeah you got yeah. your story in there
1: yeah and i i did more work on that book than i ever expected <laughs> to you know like i basically learned what it takes to put a book together from you know initial idea to getting a contract to writing a draft to doing revisions to compiling you know to like liaising with uh, mm-hmm. authors of the risk book um, in case anybody doesn't know i can't believe you wouldn't know <laughs> all about it um there's a book called risk true stories people never thought they dare to share and it's a collection of 37 of the best stories that have ever been on the podcast including six ones that you've never heard before um and so we had to like Try to get enough celebrity stories, try to get like a good diversity of stories, try to, you know, like negotiate like the releases with everybody and like, you know, um, get everybody to edit their own story. And, you know, there's in a group of 37 people, there's always going to be someone who just does not respond to email or phone calls or whatever, you know, and like some people would fucking die to be in a book. And this person has the opportunity and they're not responding to your email. It's just like right. infuriating. Especially you know, so. when
0: you have, you have some big names, Dan Savage is in there. My yeah, friend. all the Black. names
1: were pretty great, I have to say, yeah. you know, which was a, a big relief. And yeah, like, like there were people that we approached, you know, one of the big frustrations of the entertainment industry is when you approach talent about something and they're like yes I absolutely want to do that here's my manager work it out with them and then the manager fucks it all up
0: right? you know yeah,
1: and whatever I mean they have their reasons it's not like they're fucking it up it's like they're trying to protect their clients and their interests and their business and I totally understand that and that's fine hey managers Um, but uh, (laughs) but, no
0: names named (laughs) yeah but it's kind of
1: frustrated when you're not sure if somebody's like playing a game with you where it's like the talent wants to look like a nice person so they're saying yes 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 but talk to my manager and then the manager gets to be the bad guy guy who's like oh if if you if you know if you're asking anything of my client we need a 40 page contract that is all what we want and nothing of what you want and we need a bazillion dollars and blah 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 and it's like your client is saying they want to do this
0: but but you, you never know? know if the client's just being nice totally to you. Yeah. and that's
1: super frustrating i wish people would just say no if the answer is no mm-hmm. because i'm not going to be mad at anybody who says i'm sorry i don't want my story in the book mm-hmm. that's reasonable but yeah. like don't act like the answer is yes if you know it's no. And then you send your guard dog after us. You know? Yeah,
0: send out the bad cop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. So that was like a process, you know, mm-hmm. um of like just editing the whole manuscript. And like, they were literally like toward the end of like the last round of corrections, I found a Thousand, literally one thousand. I'm not exaggerating. Little changes that I that I thought needed to be made, whether it was like a misspelling or like a comma or like whatever. Right. So that was literally just combing through 400 pages of manuscript with a super careful so eye. You're everything. editing the book. Well, we had an editor who was awesome. David Lamb, shout out. Hi. Yeah. Um, he was great. Um, but, you know, when you're going through a 400-page manuscript and it's going through five different pairs of hands through a whole, mm. you know, corporation and blah, 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 mm-hmm. you're going to miss things. Or, like, every time you correct one thing, that, like, offsets the whole rest of the set for some other page. And then words get smashed together and something. You know, I don't understand the whole process. But from what I understood... Every time you make changes in the book, that changes the whole rest of the layout. And then so then, then new errors can come up because of that. And so it's kind of hard to keep track of like, is everything taken care of? Did anything else get fucked up by what we did in the last round? You Right.
0: Know? Yeah. See, this is something that I love about being an independent artist also is that you get your hands on so many different things mm-hmm. that you end up growing skills you never thought you'd grow.
1: Oh, Yeah. I I never expected to like go through the whole process of creating a book from start to finish and now I can say I've done that you know mm-hmm. so as yeah. well as
0: like numerous other things
1: Yeah like I never thought I would like build an independent arts business from nothing to like a successful business that's been you know I guess we're coming up on 2019. So it's going to be like 10 years that risk has been in existence. And I've been on board for eight years of that, you That's know?
0: It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And now you've come back to your music. You've ruined yes. Christmas 2018 with a song.
1: No, I made it better. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the three years between Excel stopping being active and um, me bringing out my new song were actually a really fascinating period in my life. Cause I kind of felt like I, when I, when I decided that I, it didn't make sense to be doing Excel anymore, uh, I was really scared because I was like, I know I have to make this change. mm mm-hmm. But I, it's, it's a big deal for me as somebody who's been like a very active artist my entire life, like always on the hamster wheel, always trying to make something happen Right. to just step off of it cold turkey and be like, I don't know what's next. Yep. I know that I'm really broken and really tired. And like, I have serious issues that I need to address that have not been able to be addressed because I've just been running, running, running. For- yeah, like
0: Maybe you have serious issues with music in general.
1: Um, I feel like music was never the problem, you know, like that's That's the, that's the heartbreak of being an artist as an adult Mm -hmm. is like, it's not just about like doing the fun thing. It's like, how do you do the fun thing, but also pay your bills, get health insurance, go to the doctor, have relationships, be happy, stay healthy, all that kind of stuff. Not
0: burn yourself out, not to start to hate and resent music.
1: Yeah. And not start to be so um, attached to a certain outcome that if you don't get that outcome, Mm. you you can't enjoy your life or your career or whatever. So yeah. Staying
0: enjoying the process. Yes. Without being
1: obsessed with the goal. Yeah. And being able to just be happy. You Mm -hmm. know, that's really the key. Like, so at that time, I was really broken down and... You know, I hadn't had time to like go to the doctor regularly, go to the gym, sleep enough, travel, see friends. Like, you know, one of the hardest things I think also about being an independent artist is like when you get really busy and you have a lot of stuff going on, every time a friend is like, come to my birthday party, the answer is, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm traveling or I have to record, you know, that day or I have to film a video that day or whatever. And it sucks. It's like you miss stuff and you don't, you know, people are like, oh, we're going to go to, you know, Mexico for a week. Come with us. It's going to be so awesome. And it's like, I can't because I have a show or whatever. Yeah. It kind of sucks. Yeah. You know? Or a
0: rehearsal, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And
1: then when you are in like a group, then it's like trying to coordinate two or three or four schedules. Mm-hmm. Like you are so beholden to other things and you you miss out in, on even more. So I'm really glad to be solo again because- I now after the, so like I spent like three years kind of rebuilding myself and healing myself and finding myself and working on myself and Mm -hmm. like fixing my life, you know, and like started working out regularly, like for the first time in my fucking adult life, you know, (laughs) like I've been going to a gym or taking classes like multiple times a week, every week for three years. Like, not true before that you know like i've been sleeping well i've been meeting and making new friends every single year i've been like changing the way i eat i went to therapy again like um you know i did like various like kind of programs and like i did the artist way i did like you know journaling and meditation and like just everything and i did the travel you know like i took the time for myself Mm -hmm. i went to all the you know birthdays and weddings and you know like participated in life you know
0: like a normal person
1: yeah you know and it's funny because there was the joy of like oh my god this is so great that i get to just do all the stuff that's not you know being obsessed about making stuff and trying to make people care about it but it was also there were lots of moments where i was like my life is fucking boring without art mm, you know mm-hmm. because like i don't have a significant relationship i don't have kids i don't have like some other huge life thing mm-hmm. that's like magical and exciting and takes up all my time or whatever right. so it's either art or nothing for me you know and so like you need
0: to feel juiced up and jazzed by something yeah
1: like art is what makes my life exciting like if i make something and go show it to people and have people see me for like the best part of myself and get excited about it then that's happening and if i don't literally what is happening is i am sitting on my ass alone
0: yeah you know so
1: it, it really came into like sharp focus of like Art is what you have to make your life interesting. So if you want to use that, you have it. And if you don't want to use it, your life is not going to be very interesting to you or to anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: So you you released another so you released the solo album or an EP between the Christmas song. No, just so came out. so
1: I sent it to you for feedback and to yep. other people and stuff. Um and that's the one that I'm gonna be re- Oh. getting remixed and like so it's remastered not it's not right um 2019 yes i'm trying <laughs> yes. I, what i should do is fucking send the motherfucking files to the motherfucking engineer motherfucking today yeah. after this interview you know like i've been trying to do that all fucking what's stopping year. you me yeah you know i mean i think i think
0: fear of finishing
1: here's the thing is um i i have been doing a lot you know, like, it's not like things haven't been getting done. Like, you know, I did the book, I redid my website, I've got new photos, mm-hmm. I like put out the song, I like, you know, like the Christmas song, Christmas is bullshit. That was a year long project, because I did a music video, a lyric video, the seven different versions of the song in terms of like clean, censored, uh, uncensored, instrumental, acapella, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um you know, get hiring uh, session musicians, like learning to produce again in Logic, mm-hmm. which i had never used before, you know, all this kind of stuff. So like, it was a very productive year, but could I have also sent my things to be remixed and remastered? Absolutely. And did I? No. But...
0: Why? Um,
1: I think before I put out Christmas is Bullshit, I definitely was in my head about like, what is it going to be like to put myself out there again? And do I want to deal with that? Because... Um, you know, people are mean on the internet, you know, and if you yeah. don't look incredibly amazing and sometimes even if you do, or if you're not young or if you, are not a size zero or like whatever, you know, right. or if you say the wrong thing in the wrong way or whatever, people are just waiting to criticize you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I really relished stepping out of the spotlight and never having to worry about somebody on YouTube calling me fat or ugly or stupid or whatever, or right. somebody on Twitter saying I'm a bitch or whatever. You know, like it's real nice yeah. to turn that off and just have some time to rebuild. Yeah. But what I found is like, I feel like we are in some ways on the internet, coming into a time where we realize that like that kind of vitriol is not worth it and is not necessary. And like, we need to turn the ship around, you know, Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. need to relearn that lesson of, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything, you know, and like build each other up instead of tearing each other down and understand that like, people do read your comments i feel like that's like a realization that people are having is like if you troll somebody there's a great chance that they will see it they will get hurt by it and they might come back to you and be like you really hurt me Mm -hmm. and so it's not this like lack of accountability where you can just like vomit out your horror into the world and just then go about your nice day it's like you might hear from that person oh
0: yeah i go i go psycho i will track the person down find them on facebook I will, I will find where they live i yeah. am psycho at that
1: yeah and most people if you say man you really hurt me and that was really not cool mm-hmm. most people feel pretty damn bad about that you know so face I to think, face
0: will be so it's totally yeah. different yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah so i I think people are learning the lesson of like you can't just throw stuff out there and not affect people and not affect yourself you know mm-hmm. so anyway but so so now that i've put before i put christmas's bullshit out i was really scared about like do i want to deal with whatever shit might come my way from putting myself out there again right. and even just the thing of like are people gonna like this and can I deal with you know being ignored or failing or people saying this sucks or people not watching it or whatever you know um and I think I was kind of in my head about that because in the band there had always been this huge pressure of like if things don't go viral and if, if people don't care and if we don't get this many views da, 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 whatever and like I just don't feel that way. Like there's so many really successful bands that people love and you'll look at their music videos and it'll be like 7,000 views and yet they're playing to 500 people or whatever. So like, it all happens differently for everybody.
0: Totally. There's so many different stories. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And you just have to do everything you want to do. And it may be that you have a million Spotify plays and 2000 YouTube plays and mm-hmm. you can't kill yourself over the 2000 YouTube plays. You still have a lot of people who love what you're doing.
0: And I think ultimately you have to feel good about what you put out.
1: Absolutely. That's
0: the main thing.
1: Yeah. And my thing as an artist is like, and I think this is true for probably everybody is like, well, at least everybody who like really values authenticity. There's some people who just want to make the most money possible and do whatever they have to do to do that and mm-hmm. whatever. But there's but most artists are thinking, how do I express my authentic self in an authentic way that really expresses what I was going for in a way that people will understand it, you right. know? Yeah. And so Christmas is bullshit and my old EP that I'm reworking and everything that I've been thinking about and working on in the meantime is all very me. You know, and I love that. And that lights me up because there's nothing better than like making something that only you can make, putting it into the world and have people go, I get that. I love that. That expresses how I feel too. I appreciate this. I'm, this makes me happy. I'm going to send it to my friends. I want to listen again.
0: It takes a lot of self, self self-acceptance, but then also you have to think about in three years from, if you put, you put it out three years from now, say you start to love Christmas, for example, for Mm, like a really bad example, (laughs) but then you're like, all right, well now I have this old Mm -hmm. album out still out in the world it's like well do I still accept that person that I used to be yeah you have to live with that it's a record it's a record for sure
1: that's why they call it a record honey yeah but like but yeah but I think as long as it's a really genuine expression of who you are and how you are at
0: that time
1: it yes but it will work because for example my old album that's more like this kind of country pop guitar based whatever Mm -hmm. I still look back on it and I'm like, those are great songs, mm-hmm. you know? Like maybe I don't like how they came out in terms of recording and budget and whatever because it just wasn't as good as the songs are. That's really kind of what it is. is right. like, and, and also like that's not the image I'm trying to go for or whatever. So I don't want to confuse people or dilute what I'm trying to do now. Right. But I'm proud of those songs and those performances, you know? And then with the, the like kind of electro, you know, EP or whatever, I have cut it down from 12 songs to seven because there were five that I was just like, these just aren't that good or they're just not as good as these other ones or they don't vibe with me still today as much as these ones do. And so I don't want to be going around performing them or having people be like, you know, oh, well, what about this song? It's like, well, it's not relevant. So like I I tapered it down to the seven that I'm like, these still totally express who I am. I could sing these songs till the day I die. These, you know, mm-hmm. are totally how I feel. Um, and then with Christmas is Bullshit, it was such a pure expression of like this is how I'm feeling this is what I want to say I want to be funny about it I think these jokes are funny they're making Mm -hmm. me laugh alone in my room you know just on paper so and I know that this music is pretty and I know that it's well played and well recorded and like all that kind of stuff and it can
0: get re-released every year
1: absolutely and I thought about that which is so (laughs) nice because I don't do well with the whole like your album comes out on April 15th and so you've got to like make sure that it's a huge splash on April 15th and like two weeks later it's irrelevant so you've right. got to maximize that. Like I, it's so hard for me to like put everything else in my life aside and just like devote every moment from like February 1st to like June 1st on making that April 15th album, the biggest. And like, and you it's always too much feel like pressure. Yeah. And there's always something you think you could be doing more or doing better or whatever. Yeah. So I actually love that this song is going to come back around mm-hmm. every year because I didn't do half of what I intended to do for it this year. Yeah. And still it was very well received. And like, you know, a lot of people heard it and saw it and whatever. And so next year I can be much better about it and start the planning in September and start the outreach in September to like really give it like a new boost and Absolutely. that's this,
0: gift. This, i think music i could see music becoming like streaming uh tv mm-hmm. you know like my nephew he's getting into mad men now mm, you funny. know because things are up on netflix and right. Hulu or whatever so it doesn't really matter what's new
1: yeah. yeah 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 it's
0: just there and it's new to somebody yeah
1: and that's the thing is like another thing as an artist that you don't know when you're starting out is like you need to understand that it will take a lot of people who like you 10 years, 15 mm-hmm. years, 20 years to discover what you've done. Mm-hmm. So you do what you do now and mm-hmm. then you just let it be and you keep doing stuff and you keep promoting yourself and you keep doing whatever you got to do because there's going to be people who who clue into you 15 years down the road, Yeah, you know, and they'll come to a concert 20 years after you put out an album.
0: Yeah, I think that old model of the music industry was different when there were record stores because it just right. wouldn't even be carried anymore. So right. people couldn't get it.
1: Right. But now right. it's
0: always available. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I see twenty nineteen being another big year for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm I'm gonna rework the EP, work on some new stuff, and I need to do like music videos for them, which is exciting and scary. You know, like one thing that I've been working on is like trying to figure out a way to eat so that I look the way I want to look, you know, because mm-hmm. as a woman in, you know, pop music and all that kind of stuff who wants to do certain kinds of imagery and feel comfortable and sexy and and you know, like I can look back on it in 2 years and be like I looked great, you know, or whatever. I personally would like to be a little more svelte or whatever. And that's a battle for me because I Mm. love eating whatever I want. And if I just let myself do whatever I want, I would be about 20 pounds heavier than I want to be.
0: I think you have to feel sexy yourself, no matter what you look like.
1: Yeah. And the funny thing for me is like, I do like, if I'm like naked looking at myself in the mirror at home, (laughs) (laughs) I am like, oh, wow, I look great. And then if there's like a picture of me in a bikini, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't look good to me it's, it's just the, doesn't look the same i don't know maybe it's, i mean <laughs> it's, honestly it's the colors <laughs> no honestly like you know you can put yourself in one piece of clothing and look horrendous and put your same self in another piece of clothing and look like a goddess you know so uh-huh. for sure like styling and color and lighting and you know angle and everything body position everything yeah you know fixes that but like um i've thought about that where i'm like there's got to be there for sure is some way to style myself at any weight where i would look my absolute best
0: i mean christina Hendricks. speaking of madmen yeah you know the redhead
1: yeah but like you know whatever i don't know if i want to turn this into like a nitpicky body image Uh (laughs) discussion or whatever but like first of all you i don't think you judge other people as harshly as you judge yourself and second Sometimes someone like, yes, she has giant boobs, but she also has a pretty goddamn small waist, you know, and she also has like pretty smooth lines when you see her in like a dress or whatever, you Mm. know, and like, sure, that may be from undergarments and like professional styling and whatever it may not be that she has these giant boobs, but also has a small waist and a flat stomach or whatever, you know, or it might be I don't know, you know, but like, you know, we all have these stupid little nitpicky things about ourselves. And also just like, you know, If I were styled properly, I could look great. But I might want to do something where like I'm wearing a unitard with cutouts and like that's the look that I want. And I want to look a certain way to look what I think looks great in that. I don't want to have to put on a big poofy dress to look my best, you know, because maybe a big poofy dress isn't the image that I'm going for, you know, so who knows?
0: Yeah, I do think that if you are confident and you feel sexy with however you look, yeah. It comes across yeah it's almost like it, it stems from the inside
1: out yeah i just kind of feel like my best self and whatever i don't mean to sound to for this to sound like oh my god why can't you know people not be this way or whatever but yeah. like i'm just saying like you know when you're 20 pounds over where you feel your best yeah you know what i mean so totally. that's all i'm saying is mm-hmm. like i've been you know 15 pounds lower than i am right now i'd like to get back there Mm -hmm. because i know what that looked like and i loved it and i just want that right you know so that's that's all i'm saying that sounds totally rational thank you (laughs) everybody's been such a dick about it like that's (laughs) one thing that like why i eventually just like hired a coach to like work with me on that who works on that stuff so Mm -hmm. that i can just say what the fuck i think and not have somebody fucking fight me at every step right all my friends are like and i'm like I'm not anorexic. Right. I do not have body dysmorphia. I do not have bulimia. <laughs> I am not harming myself. I can say if I want to be 10 or 15 pounds lighter because I used to be when I was more in shape, stop fighting me on this it is not a problem and it's not your fucking business Mm -hmm. you know
0: until you're withering her away and there's just like nothing but bones
1: girl if i'm withering away i'll let you the fuck know. (laughs) but it's probably never gonna happen like that i fucking love food okay like i have eloped with various food items you know like like like, don't worry about jc cass's eating it will happen okay yes So, yeah. It's just gravity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking uh, talking to me.
1: Yeah, thanks for talking to me.
0: Yeah, awesome.
1: Uh, um, can I say my social media and all that kind Absolutely. Of stuff? Yeah. So, um, if you guys want to follow me, um, I'm like much funnier on Twitter. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at JCCASSIS, JCCASSIS, and, um, at Instagram, uh, at JC.CASSIS and on YouTube slash YouTube.com slash JCCASSIS, JCCASSIS.com, um, and Facebook, uh, at official
0: and we'll put the links in the show notes so just scroll up down in your podcast and And
1: my music is available absolutely everywhere you could ever want it so iTunes, SoundCloud you know Spotify all of it so look up Christmas is bullshit and enjoy (laughs) awesome yeah thanks for having me thank you Up my spine, cuz this part of the year is my least favorite time. I don't stuff stockings, I don't buy dead trees, I only like shopping if the shopping is for me. The food makes me fatter, Christmas cookies taste like wood, ugly sweaters don't flatter, and I prefer to look good. The weather is nasty. The crowds are insane Don't be mad at me But I just gotta say Christmas Christmas Christmas, Christmas is bullshit so i can have fun you can call me a killjoy a curmudgeon a grinch but i call it like i see it and i won't give an inch i don't need santa i can buy shit for myself i don't care about job security Traditions don't matter, sometimes they're obscene Let me give an example, so you see what I mean Name one other time you would ever drink eggnog If you don't like what I'm saying, you can suck my Yule log Cause Christmas! you're gonna say you're gonna say maybe you don't like Christmas because you haven't met the right Christmas yet but we all know that's not how that works I've tried Christmas 35 times it's not working for me but they say don't complain about a problem without offering a solution Fine! Next year, no Christmas! Just two Halloween!